section seven of the schwan by honore de balzac translated by catherine wormley this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter two part four why has my rash indiscretion which sought to give a future to our present meeting destroyed the happiness of it he said taking her hand which she left in his unconsciously mademoiselle de venouille who seemed to be in real distress was silent how have i displeased you he said what can i do to soothe you tell me your name he made no reply and they walked some distance in silence suddenly mademoiselle de venouille stopped short like one who has come to some serious determination monsieur le marquis de montran she said with dignity but without being able to conceal entirely the nervous trembling of her features i desire to do you a great service whatever it may cost me we part here the coach and its escort are necessary for your protection and you must continue your journey in it fear nothing from the republicans they are men of honour and i shall give the adjutant certain orders which he will faithfully execute as for me i shall return on foot to alencon with my maid and take a few of the soldiers with me listen to what i say for your life depends on it if before you reach a place of safety you meet that odious man you saw in my company at the inn escape at once for he will instantly betray you as for me she paused as for me i fling myself back into the miseries of life farewell monsieur may you be happy farewell she made a sign to captain merle who was just then reaching the brow of the hill behind her the marquis was taken unawares by her sudden action stop he cried in a tone of despair that was well acted this singular caprice of a girl for whom he would at that instant have thrown away his life so surprised him that he invented on the spur of the moment a fatal fiction by which to hide his name and satisfy the curiosity of his companion you have almost guessed the truth he said i am an emigre condemned to death and my name is vicomte de Beauvin. love of my country has brought me back to france to join my brother i hope to be taken off the list of emigres through the influence of madame de beauharnais now the wife of the first consul but if i fail in this i mean to die on the soil of my native land fighting beside my friend montauran i am now on my way secretly by means of a passport he has sent me to learn if any of my property in brittany is still unconfiscated while the young man spoke mademoiselle de venouille examined him with a penetrating eye she tried at first to doubt his words but being by nature confiding and trustful she slowly regained an expression of serenity and said eagerly monsieur are you telling me the exact truth yes the exact truth replied the young man who seemed to have no conscience in his dealings with women 
mademoiselle de vanouille gave a deep sigh like a person who returns to life ah she exclaimed i'm very happy then you hate that poor montrand no she said but i could not make you understand my meaning i was not willing that you should meet the dangers from which i will try to protect him since he is your friend who told you that montrand was in danger ah monsieur even if i had not come from paris where his enterprise is the one thing talked of the commandant at alencon said enough to show his danger then let me ask you how you expect to save him from it suppose i do not choose to answer she replied with the haughty air that women often assume to hide an emotion what right have you to know my secrets the right of a man who loves you already she said no you do not love me i am only an object of passing gallantry to you that is all i am clear-sighted did i not penetrate your disguise at once a woman who knows anything of good society could not be misled in these days by a pupil of the polytechnique who uses choice language and conceals as little as you do the manners of a grand seigneur under the mask of a republican there is a trifle of powder left in your hair and a fragrance of nobility clings to you which a woman of the world cannot fail to detect therefore fearing that the man whom you saw accompanying me who has all the shrewdness of a woman might make the same discovery i sent him away monsieur let me tell you that a true republican officer just from the polytechnique would not have made love to me as you have done and would not have taken me for a pretty adventuress allow me monsieur de beauvin to preach your little sermon from a woman's point of view are you too juvenile to know that of all the creatures of my sex the most difficult to subdue is that same adventuress she whose price is ticketed and who is weary of pleasure that sort of woman requires they tell me constant seduction she yields only to her own caprices in the attempt to please her argues i should suppose great conceit on the part of a man but let us put aside that class of women among whom you have been good enough to rank me you ought to understand that a young woman handsome brilliant and of noble birth for i suppose you will grant me those advantages does not sell herself and can only be won by the man who loves her in one way you understand me if she loves him and is willing to commit a folly she must be justified by great and heroic reasons forgive me this logic rare in my sex but for the sake of your happiness and my own she added dropping her head i will not allow either of us to deceive the other nor will i permit you to think that mademoiselle de vanouille angel or devil maid or wife is capable of being seduced by commonplace gallantry mademoiselle said the marquis whose surprise though he concealed it was extreme and who at once became a man of the great world i entreat you to believe that i take you to be a very noble person full of the highest sentiments or a charming girl as you please i don't ask all that she said laughing allow me to keep my incognito my mask is better than yours and it pleases me to wear it if only to discover whether 
those who talk to me of love are sincere therefore beware of me monsieur she cried catching his arm vehemently listen to me if you were able to prove that your love is true nothing no human power could part us yes i would fain unite myself to the noble destiny of some great man and marry a vast ambition glorious hopes noble hearts are never faithless for constancy is in their fibre i should be forever loved forever happy i would make my body a stepping-stone by which to raise the man who loved me i would sacrifice all things to him bear all things from him and love him forever even if he ceased to love me i have never before dared to confess to another heart the secrets of mine nor the passionate enthusiasms which exhaust me but i tell you something of them now because as soon as i have seen you in safety we shall part for ever part never he cried electrified by the tones of that vigorous soul which seemed to be fighting against some overwhelming thought are you free she said with a haughty glance which subdued him free yes except for the sentence of death which hangs over me she added presently in a voice full of bitter feeling if all this were not a dream a glorious life might indeed be ours but i have been talking folly let us beware of committing any when i think of all you would have to be before you could rate me at my proper value i doubt everything i doubt nothing if you will only grant me hush she cried hearing a note of true passion in his voice the open air is decidedly disagreeing with us let us return to the coach the vehicle soon came up they took their places and drove on several miles in total silence both had matter for reflection but henceforth their eyes no longer feared to meet each now seemed to have an equal interest in observing the other and in mutually hiding important secrets but for all that they were drawn together by one and the same impulse which now as a result of this interview assumed the dimensions of a passion they recognized in each other qualities which promised to heighten all the pleasures to be derived from either their contest or their union perhaps both of them living a life of adventure had reached the singular moral condition in which either from weariness or in defiance of fate the mind rejects serious reflection and flings itself on chance in pursuing an enterprise precisely because the issues of chance are unknown and the interest of expecting them vivid the moral nature like the physical nature has its abysses into which strong souls love to plunge risking their future as gamblers risk their fortune mademoiselle de venille and the young marquis had obtained a revelation of each other's minds as a consequence of this interview and their intercourse thus took rapid strides for the sympathy of their souls succeeded to that of their senses besides the more they felt fatally drawn to each other the more eager they were to study the secret action of their minds the so-called vicomte de beauvoir surprised at the seriousness of the strange girl's ideas asked himself how she could possibly combine such acquired knowledge of life with so much youth and freshness he thought he discovered an extreme desire to appear chaste in the modesty and reserve of her attitudes he suspected her of playing a part he questioned the nature of his own pleasure and ended by choosing to consider her a clever actress he was right mademoiselle de Venouille, like other women of the world grew the more reserved the more she felt the warmth of her own feelings assuming with perfect naturalness 
the appearance of prudery beneath which such women veil their desires they are wished to offer themselves as virgins on love's altar and they are not so the deception they seek to practise is at least an homage which they pay to their lovers these thoughts passed rapidly through the mind of the young man and gratified him in fact for both this mutual examination was an advance in their intercourse and the lover soon came to that phase of passion in which a man finds in the defects of his mistress a reason for loving her the more mademoiselle de vanille was thoughtful perhaps her imagination led her over a greater extent of the future than that of the young emigre who was merely following one of the many impulses of his life as a man whereas marie was considering a lifetime thinking to make it beautiful and to fill it with happiness and with grand and noble sentiments happy in such thoughts more in love with her ideal than with the actual reality with the future rather than with the present she desired now to return upon her steps so as to better establish her power in this she acted instinctively as all women act having agreed with her soul that she would give herself wholly up she wished if we may so express it to dispute every fragment of the gift she longed to take back from the past all her words and looks and acts and make them more in harmony with the dignity of a woman beloved her eyes at times expressed a sort of terror as she thought of the interview just over in which she had shown herself aggressive but as she watched the face before her instinct with power and felt that a being so strong must also be generous she glowed at the thought that her part in life would be nobler than that of most women inasmuch as her lover was a man of character a man condemned to death who had come to risk his life in making war against the republic the thought of occupying such a soul to the exclusion of all rivals gave a new aspect to many matters between the moment only five hours earlier when she composed her face and toned her voice to allure the young man and the present moment when she was able to convulse him with a look there was all the difference to her between a dead world and a living one in the condition of soul in which mademoiselle de vanille now existed external life seemed to her a species of phantasmagoria the carriage passed through villages and valleys and mounted hills which left no impressions on her mind they reached mayon the soldiers of the escort were changed Merle spoke to her she replied they crossed the whole town and were again in the open country but the faces houses streets landscape men swept past her like the figments of a dream night came and marie was travelling beneath a diamond sky wrapped in soft light and yet she was not aware that darkness had succeeded day that mayon was past that fougere was near she knew not even where she was going that she should part in a few hours from the man she had chosen and who she believed had chosen her was not for her a possibility love is the only passion which looks to neither past nor future occasionally her thoughts escaped in broken words in phrases devoid of meaning though to her lover's ears they sounded like promises of love to the two witnesses of this birth of passion she seemed to be rushing onward with fearful rapidity francine knew marie as well as madame du gois knew the marquis and their experience of the past made them await in silence some terrible finale it was indeed not long before the end came to the drama which mademoiselle de Nevenille had called without perhaps imagining the truth of her words a tragedy
when the travellers were about three miles beyond mayon they heard a horseman riding after them with great rapidity when he reached the carriage he leaned towards it to look at mademoiselle de vanille who recognized corotin that offensive personage made her a sign of intelligence the familiarity of which was deeply mortifying then he turned away after chilling her to the bone with a look full of some base meaning the young emigre seemed painfully affected by this circumstance which did not escape the notice of his pretended mother but marie softly touched him seeming by her eyes to take refuge in his heart as though it were her only haven his brow cleared at this proof of the full extent of his mistress's attachment coming to him as it were by accident an inexplicable fear seemed to have overcome her coyness and her love was visible for a moment without avail unfortunately for both of them madame de goy saw it all like a miser who gives a feast she seemed to count the morsels and begrudge the wine absorbed in their happiness the lovers arrived without any consciousness of the distance they had traversed at that part of the road which passed through the valley of arnay there francine noticed and showed to her companions a number of strange forms which seemed to move like shadows among the trees and gorse that surrounded the fields when the carriage came within range of these shadows a volley of musketry the balls of which whistled above their heads warned the travellers that the shadows were realities the escort had fallen into a trap captain merle now keenly regretted having adopted mademoiselle de vanille's idea that a rapid journey by night would be a safe one an error which had led him to reduce his escort from mayon to sixty men he had once under gerard's orders divided his little troop into two columns one on each side of the road which the two officers marched at a quick step among the gorse hedges eager to meet the assailants though ignorant of their number the blues beat the thick bushes right and left with rash intrepidity and replied to the chouan with a steady fire mademoiselle de vanille's first impulse was to jump from the carriage and run back along the road until she was out of sight of the battle but ashamed of her fears and moved by the feeling which impels us all to act nobly under the eyes of those we love she presently stood still endeavouring to watch the combat coolly the marquis followed her took her hand and placed it on his breast i was afraid she said smiling but now just then her terrified maid cried out marie take care but as she said the words francine who was springing from the carriage felt herself grasped by a strong hand the sudden weight of that enormous hand made her shriek violently she turned and was instantly silenced on recognizing marche à terre twice i owe to chance said the marquis to mademoiselle de vanille the revelation of the sweetest secrets of the heart thanks to francine i now know you bear the gracious name of marie marie the name i have invoked in my distresses marie a name i shall henceforth speak in joy and never without sacrifice mingling religion and love there can be no wrong where prayer and love go together they clasped hands looked silently into each other's eyes and the excess of their emotion took away from them the power to express it there is no danger for the rest of you marcharter was saying roughly to francine giving to his hoarse and guttural voice a reproachful tone and emphasizing his last words in a way to stupefy the innocent peasant girl for the first time in her life she saw ferocity in that face the moonlight seemed to heighten the effect of it 
the savage breton holding his cap in one hand and his heavy carbine in the other dumping in thick set as a gnome and bathed in that white light the shadows of which gave such fantastic aspects to form seemed to belong more to a world of goblins than to reality this apparition and its tone of reproach came upon francine with the suddenness of a phantom he turned rapidly to madame de Gois, with whom he exchanged a few eager words which francine who had somewhat forgotten the dialect of lower brittany did not understand the lady seemed to be giving him a series of orders the short conference ended by an imperious gesture of the lady's hand pointing out to the chouan the lover standing a little distance apart before obeying marchaterre glanced at francine whom he seemed to pity he wished to speak to her and the girl was aware that his silence was compulsory the rough and sunburnt skin of his forehead wrinkled and his eyebrows were drawn violently together did he think of disobeying a renewed order to kill mademoiselle de vanouille the contortion of his face made him all the more hideous to madame de Gois. but to francine the flash of his eye seemed almost gentle for it taught her to feel intuitively that the violence of his savage nature would yield to her will as a woman and that she reigned next to god in that rough heart the lovers were interrupted in their tender interview by madame de Gois, who ran up to marie with a cry and pulled her away as though some danger threatened her her real object however was to enable a member of the royalist committee of alencon whom she saw approaching them to speak privately to the gar beware of the girl you met at the hotel in alencon she will betray you said the chevalier de valois in the young man's ear and immediately he and his little breton horse disappeared among the bushes from which he had issued the firing was heavy at that moment but the combatants did not come to close quarters adjutant said clef de coeur isn't it a sham attack to capture our travellers and get a ransom the devil is in it but i believe you are right replied gerard darting back towards the high road just then the chouan fire slackened for in truth the whole object of the skirmish was to give the chevalier an opportunity to utter his warning to the gar merle who saw the enemy disappearing across the hedges thought best not to follow them nor to enter upon a fight that was uselessly dangerous gerard ordered the escort to take its former position on the road and the convoy was again in motion without the loss of a single man the captain offered his hand to mademoiselle de Venille to replace her in the coach for the young nobleman stood motionless as if thunderstruck marie amazed at his attitude got into the carriage alone without accepting the politeness of the republican she turned her head towards her lover saw him still motionless and was stupefied at the sudden change which had evidently come over him the young man slowly returned his whole manner betraying deep disgust was i not right said madame de Gois in his ear as she led him to the coach we have fallen into the hands of a creature who is trafficking for your head but since she is such a fool as to have fallen in love with you for heaven's sake don't behave like a boy pretend to love her at least till we reach la vivetiere once there but she thought to herself seeing the young man take his place with the days there as if bewildered can it be that he already loves her the coach rolled on over the sandy road to mademoiselle de Venouille's eyes all seemed changed death was gliding beside her love perhaps it was only fancy but to a woman who loves fancy is as vivid as reality francine who had clearly understood from marchaterre's glance that mademoiselle de Venouille's fate over which she had commanded him to watch was in other hands than his looked pale and haggard and could scarcely restrain her tears when her mistress spoke to her 
to her eyes madame de Gois's female malignancy was scarcely concealed by her treacherous smiles and the sudden changes which her obsequious attentions to mademoiselle de vernouille made in her manners voice and expression was of a nature to frighten a watchful observer mademoiselle de vernouille herself shuddered instinctively asking herself why should i fear she is his mother then she trembled in every limb as the thought crossed her mind is she really his mother an abyss suddenly opened before her and she cast a look upon the mother and son which finally enlightened her that woman loves him she thought but why has she begun these attentions after showing me such coolness am i lost or is she afraid of me as for the young man he was flushed and pale by turns but he kept a quiet attitude and lowered his eyes to conceal the emotions which agitated him the graceful curve of his lips was lost in their close compression and his skin turned yellow under the struggle of his stormy thoughts mademoiselle de vernouille was unable to decide whether any love for her remained in his evident anger the road flanked by woods at this particular point became darker and more gloomy and the obscurity prevented the eyes of the silent travellers from questioning each other the sighing of the wind the rustling of the trees the measured step of the escort gave that almost solemn character to the scene which quickens the pulses mademoiselle de vernouille could not long try in vain to discover the reason of this change the recollection of corentin clinging to her like a flash and reminded her suddenly of her real destiny for the first time since the morning she reflected seriously on her position until then she had yielded herself up to the delight of loving without a thought of the past or of the future unable to bear the agony of her mind she sought with the patience of love to obtain a look from the young man's eyes and when she did so her paleness and the quiver in her face had so penetrating an influence over him that he wavered but the softening was momentary are you ill mademoiselle he said but his voice had no gentleness the very question the look the gesture all served to convince her that the events of this day belonged to a mirage of the soul which was fast disappearing like mist before the wind am i ill she replied with a forced laugh i was going to ask you the same question i suppose you understood each other remarked madame de Gois, with specious kindliness neither the young man nor mademoiselle de vernouille replied the girl doubly insulted was angered at feeling her powerful beauty powerless she knew she could discover the cause of the present situation the moment she chose to do so but for the first time perhaps a woman recoiled before a secret human life is sadly fertile in situations where as a result of either too much meditation or of some catastrophe our thoughts seem to hold to nothing they have no substance no point of departure and the present has no hooks by which to hold to the past or fasten on the future this was mademoiselle de vernouille's condition at the present moment leaning back in the carriage she sat there like an uprooted shrub silent and suffering she looked at no one wrapped herself in her grief and buried herself so completely in the unseen world the refuge of the miserable that she saw nothing around her crows crossed the road in the air above them cawing but although like all strong hearts hers had a superstitious corner she paid no attention to the omen the party travelled on in silence already parted mademoiselle de vernouille was saying to herself yet no one about us has uttered one word could it be corentin it is not his interest to speak who can have come to this spot and accused me just loved and already abandoned i sow attraction and i reap contempt is it my perpetual fate to see happiness and ever lose it pangs hitherto unknown to her wrung her heart for she now loved truly and for the first time 
yet she had not so wholly delivered herself to her lover that she could not take refuge from her pain in the natural pride and dignity of a young and beautiful woman the secret of her love a secret often kept by women under torture itself had not escaped her lips presently she rose from her reclining attitude ashamed that she had shown her passion by her silent sufferings she shook her head with the light-hearted action and showed a face or rather a mask that was gay and smiling then she raised her voice to disguise the quiver of it where are we she said to captain mo who kept himself at a certain distance from the carriage about six miles from fougere mademoiselle we shall soon be there shall we not she went on to encourage a conversation in which she might show some preference for the young captain a breton mile said Merle, much delighted has the disadvantage of never ending when you are at the top of one hill you see a valley and another hill when you reach the summit of the slope we are now ascending you will see the plateau of mont pelerin in the distance let us hope the chouans won't take their revenge there now in going uphill and going downhill one doesn't make much chedway from la pelerin you will still see the young emigre made a movement at the name which marie alone noticed what is la pelerine she asked hastily interrupting the captain's description of breton topography it is the summit of a mountain said Merle, which gives its name to the main valley through which we shall presently pass it separates this valley from that of couesnon at the end of which is the town of fougere the chief town in brittany we had a fight there last with the gar and his brigands we were escorting breton conscripts who meant to kill us sooner than leave their own land but hulot is a rough christian and he gave them did you see the gar she asked what sort of man is he her keen malicious eyes never left the so-called vicomte's face well mademoiselle replied merle nettled at being always interrupted he is so like citizen dugois that if your friend did not wear the uniform of the ecole polytechnique i could swear it was he mademoiselle de vanille looked fixedly at the cold impassable young man who had scorned her but she saw nothing in him that betrayed the slightest feeling of alarm she warned him by a bitter smile that she had now discovered the secret so treacherously kept then in a jesting voice her nostrils dilating with pleasure and her head so turned that she could watch the young man and yet see merle she said to the republican the new leader gives a great deal of anxiety to the first consul he is very daring they say but he has the weakness of rushing headlong into adventures especially with women we are counting on that to get even with him said the captain if we catch him for only an hour we shall put a bullet in his head he'll do the same to us if he meets us so par paris oh said the emigre we have nothing to fear your soldiers cannot go as far as la pelerine they are tired and if you consent we can all rest a short distance from here my mother stops at la the road to which turns off a few rods farther on these ladies might like to stop there too they must be tired with their long drive from alencon without resting and as mademoiselle he added with forced politeness has had the generosity to give safety as well as pleasure to our journey perhaps she will deign to accept a supper from my mother and i think captain he added addressing merle the times are not so bad but what we can find a barrel of cider for your men the gar can't have taken all at least my mother thinks not your mother said mademoiselle de vanille interrupting him in a tone of irony and making no reply to his invitation does my age seem more improbable to you this evening mademoiselle said madame dugois unfortunately i was married very young and my son was born when i was fifteen 
are you not mistaken madame when you were thirty perhaps madame de Glois turned livid as she swallowed the sarcasm she would have liked to revenge herself on the spot but was forced to smile for she was determined at any cost even that of insult to discover the nature of the feelings that actuated the young girl she therefore pretended not to have understood her the chouans have never had a more cruel leader than the gar if we are to believe the stories about him she said addressing herself vaguely to both francine and her mistress oh as for cruel i don't believe that said mademoiselle de vernouille he knows how to lie but he seems rather credulous himself the leader of a party ought not to be the plaything of others do you know him asked the emigre quietly no she replied with a disdainful glance but i thought i did oh mademoiselle he's a malin yes a malin said captain merle shaking his head and giving with an expressive gesture the peculiar meaning to the word which it had in those days but has since lost those old families do sometimes send out vigorous shoots he has just returned from a country where they say the sea devant didn't find life too easy and men ripen like meddlers in the straw if that fellow is really clever he can lead us a pretty dance he has already formed companies of light infantry who oppose our troops and neutralize the efforts of the government if we burn a royalist village he burns two of ours he can hold an immense tract of country and force us to spread out our men at the very moment when we want them on one spot oh he knows what he is about he is cutting his country's throat said gerard in a loud voice interrupting the captain then said the emigre if his death would deliver the nation why don't you catch him and shoot him as he spoke he tried to look into the depths of mademoiselle de vanille's soul and one of those voiceless scenes the dramatic vividness and fleeting sagacity of which cannot be reproduced in language passed between them in a flash danger is always interesting the worst criminal threatened with death excites pity though mademoiselle de vanille was now certain that the lover who had cast her off was this very leader of the chouan she was not ready to verify her suspicions by giving him up she had quite another curiosity to satisfy she preferred to doubt or to believe as her passion led her and she now began deliberately to play with peril her eyes full of scornful meaning bade the young chief notice the soldiers of the escort by thus presenting to his mind triumphantly an image of his danger she made him feel that his life depended on a word from her and her lips seemed to quiver on the verge of pronouncing it like an american indian she watched every muscle of the face of her enemy tied as it were to the stake while she brandished her tomahawk gracefully enjoying a revenge that was still innocent and torturing like a mistress who still loves if i had a son like yours madame she said to madame du Gois, who was visibly frightened i should wear mourning from the day when i had yielded him to danger i should know no peace of mind no answer was made to this speech she turned her head repeatedly to the escort and then suddenly to madame du Gois, without detecting the slightest secret signal between the lady and the gar which might have confirmed her suspicions on the nature of their intimacy which she longed to doubt the young chief calmly smiled and bore without flinching the scrutiny she forced him to undergo his attitude and the expression of his face were those of a man indifferent to danger he even seemed to say at times this is your chance to avenge your wounded vanity take it i have no desire to lessen my contempt for you mademoiselle de vanille began to study the young man from the vantage ground of her position with coolness and dignity at the bottom of her heart she admired his courage and tranquillity happy in discovering that the man she loved bore an ancient title the distinctions of which please every woman she also found pleasure in meeting him in their present situation where as champion of a cause 
ennobled by misfortune he was fighting with all the faculties of a strong soul against a republic that was constantly victorious she rejoiced to see him brought face to face with danger and still displaying the courage and bravery so powerful on a woman's heart again and again she put him to the test obeying perhaps the instinct which induces a woman to play with her victim as a cat plays with a mouse by virtue of what law do you put the schwan to death she said to merle that of the fourteenth of last fructidor which outlaws the insurgent departments and proclaims martial law replied the republican may i ask why i have the honour to attract your eyes she said presently to the young chief who was attentively watching her because of a feeling which a man of honour cannot express to any woman no matter who she is replied the marquis de montreuil in a low voice bending down to her we live in times he said aloud when women do the work of the executioner and wield the axe with even better effect she looked at de montreuil fixedly then delighted to be attacked by the man whose life she held in her hands she said in a low voice smiling softly your head is a very poor one the executioner does not want it i shall keep it myself the marquis looked at the inexplicable girl whose love had overcome all even insult and who now avenged herself by forgiving that which women are said never to forgive his eyes grew less stern less cold a look of sadness came upon his face his love was stronger than he suspected mademoiselle de venouille satisfied with these faint signs of a desired reconciliation glanced at him tenderly with a smile that was like a kiss then she leaned back once more in the carriage determined not to risk the future of this happy drama believing she had assured it with her smile she was so beautiful she knew so well how to conquer all obstacles to love she was so accustomed to take all risk and push on at all hazards she loved the unexpected and the tumults of life why should she fear before long the carriage under the young chief's directions left the highway and took a road cut between banks planted with apple trees more like a ditch than a roadway which led to la vivetiere the carriage now advanced rapidly leaving the escort to follow slowly towards the manor-house the grey roofs of which appeared and disappeared among the trees some of the men lingered on the way to knock the stiff clay of the road-bed from their shoes this is devilishly like the road to paradise remarked beaupier thanks to the impatience of the postillion mademoiselle de venouille soon saw the chateau of la devetiere this house standing at the end of a sort of promontory was protected and surrounded by two deep lakelets and could be reached only by a narrow causeway that part of the little peninsula on which the house and gardens were placed was still further protected by a moat filled with water from the two lakes which it connected the house really stood on an island that was well nigh impregnable an invaluable retreat for a chieftain who could be surprised there only by treachery End of section seven